0: Welcome back to the series on salvation. Specifically, these last episodes have been on love. And this is an extra bonus part three. So part one and part two are more comprehensive and just a teaching. But this part three is you might hear some... uh, Duplicates of what you heard in part one and part two through scripture, but this part three is, is to serve more on a full comprehensive list of going through the entire New Testament and what Jesus, the apostles, all say on how we are judged, but also on how we are supposed to live here on this life as disciples of Jesus to bring the kingdom of heaven And so this part three is a bonus and so enjoy it and it also will cover a lot of you know the once saved always saved and how we need to continue and persevere and how we can lose our salvation and all those things we're going to pull out a lot of scripture here in this and kind of go through the entire New Testament but uh, the full teaching of Jesus the apostles and the church on salvation uh, being judged by love and everything like that is going to be part one and part two so this is just a bonus one so enjoy. Matthew 5-7 through 7 is Jesus' dialogue on the Beatitudes and the elevation of all the Old Testament laws and how we are called to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect to participate in God's love and to be hearers and doers of the word and not hearers alone and to build our faith uh, upon the foundation of Christ. In Matthew 10, Jesus talks about how he who loves father and mother more than Jesus is not worthy of Jesus. And so we have to love Jesus more than our son, our daughter, our father, our mother, anybody, and we have to be willing to take up our cross, which is a uh, a form of torture in the first century um, culture. And um, he who doesn't follow his pick up his cross and follow Jesus daily is not worthy of him, and he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for Jesus' sake will find it. this is a total surrender and in uh, uh, Matthew 1237 on the day of judgment when men will render account for every careless word they utter for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned so there it is based on our words. And 1250, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. And it's not just those sitting nearby. Uh, 13, 1 through 23, the parable of the sower. Um, and it's talking about the the seed scattered on the path or rocky ground or thorns or on the good soil and each of them uh, he is showing how either the the devil takes it away and chokes it right away or it's on rocky ground and it, it receives it with joy but then later on because of persecution he takes it away or among thorns and where the seed grows up the weed the weeds grow up but is choked because of the the lural, the the temptation of the world. And then it is the seed on good soil. So it's this combination. It's this depth of love. And then later on in that same chapter, in chapter 13 of Matthew, 41 through 43, says, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and evil doers, and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Matthew sixteen twenty-seven, the Son of Man is to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay every man for what he has done. And Matthew eighteen three, and the parallel verse is Luke eighteen seventeen. Unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then in uh, Matthew chapter twenty, verses one through sixteen, it's the labors in the vineyard. So he's talking about the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who went out early in the morning to hire labors for his vineyard. So he sent all these people out, and when they return, they, uh, the people who are out there longer expect a, a higher wage. And the whole parable is about, um, and at the end, the master who pays these people, who has the right to give as he desires, um, after people are complaining that they re- didn't receive uh, their fair wage because they um, received the same amount as people who didn't work as long, uh, he says, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give give to this last as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the whole parable is about, um, you know, on this balance of, you know, we've heard of how people need to work and steward and all these gifts and all these stuff and all these things, but it is all grace and it is all God's works himself. So when we come to him on judgment day, he can do whatever he wants with it because it's his gifts. It's his rewards that he uh, can offer. We don't go to God um, in spite of rewards outside of him. We do it for him, with him, through him, and, um, and ultimately deliver it to him, right? So it's all God working in us and so we need to have that inner um disposition of what as well as God you are a generous God and no matter what you give me no matter what my reward is i don't care all i want is you and for your glory i don't i'm not working i'm not uh going to work merely just for a reward or and i'm not going to um compare myself to other people which by the way once you get to heaven i've heard this beautiful analogy of Uh, different levels of glory. But does that mean that the people on lower levels of glory will not be as happy? A beautiful image of this is two cups, one small, one large. Both cups are completely full but one is just smaller, another one's bigger. That's what it'll be like for each person. Every single person is completely full, but some some cups will be smaller, some cups will be bigger, but each uh, person or each cup in this analogy is completely full. And then Matthew 21, 28 through 32, the parable of the two sons. And this entire uh, thing, it's, it's you know, short, it's five verses. And in these verses, Jesus talks about how a man had two sons and he's, he went To the first and said, "Son, go and work in the vineyard today." And he and he answered, "I will not." But afterward he repented and went. And then later on he said, uh, he went to his second son and said the same. And, And the second son said, "I will go, sir," but he did not go. Then he even asked, "Which of the two did the will of his father?" They said the first, and then Jesus goes on to explain to those in authority in the temple that they, uh, that everybody else, all these sinners, go before them because, uh, because they didn't repent and believe in what John the Baptist was proclaiming and coming to Jesus Himself, right, the true bridegroom, and so. Um, because of that rejection, even though say, they say yes to God, but then they don't actually do the works of God by believing in Christ, well, then that is, they are not um, they are not doing the Father's will. But it's the first son that Jesus says, that does the Father's will, that actually said, no, I'm not going to do anything. But then he repents and goes and does it anyway. So it's an action, it's a disposition of saying yes to Jesus and doing, carrying out the Father's will. 18.5, Matthew 18.5, Temptations to sin. Temptation must come, but woe to that man who it comes. And then he says, to cut off your members if it causes you to sin. Obviously, he's using hyperbole, but he talks about if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out because it's better for you to enter into life, heaven, maimed than it is to go into uh, hell with all your uh, members. And he says the same thing with your hand. In Matthew 19, the rich young man comes to Jesus and says, What good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, if you would enter life keep the commandments and then he goes on to say how hard it is for a rich man to enter, in the, enter into the kingdom of heaven and this is because it's somebody's covetousness of their hearts they as their pride of their heart that wants to hold on to these things rather than to cling to god himself and but, he's, but God says when the disciples ask him who can be saved then, he says with men this is impossible, but well, with God all things are possible. So God himself, his grace working in us, brings us into that perfect love, that perfect attachment to God alone and to never be um, a servant uh, instead of a steward to all these earthly goods that we possess and never become possessed by them. So Matthew 21, he talks about the wicked servant and the entire parable is about how god sends prophets and then his son to give people uh this gift right but these people who took it and um would abuse the prophets abuse jesus and just they wanted the they wanted the kingdom and not necessarily not necessarily the king or god himself and in the end when the owner returns he says he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons and then in Matthew 22 is the parable of the marriage feast where everybody is called in the kingdom. And so go therefore and proclaim everything to the in the streets and go and find everybody so that my house may be full. And it says that the servants went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. And so this is a two thing uh to, to note right here. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven here on earth, where some people are are in the kingdom, but they are not they do not have their hearts in tune and in love with God, and they are cast out. And they're also and he's also talking about the showing that weeds and weeds, the good and the bad, are to grow together in the kingdom of heaven here on earth, not yet purified in the coming of Jesus, where they Um, So the the church isn't merely just whoever has faith at any given time. No, the church is visible as, as Jesus already established back in five chapters ago in Matthew 16 and in Matthew 18 upon Peter and the apostles. So the church is spiritual, yes, because it's the mystical body of Christ. It's spiritual, but it's also visible. It's a both and. But, that the weeds and the wheats, the weeds and the wheats in the kingdom of God here on earth will be separated at the end of time, and the wheats will be brought into the kingdom of God. And so, at the end of this wedding feast, he says, The king came in to look at the guests, and he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen." And so that is a uh, heads up, you know, just can't be Catholic and then say you're going to heaven because I'm Catholic. Nope. Our hearts have to be consumed in love, to be consumed and love God first and then neighbor, right? Which is actually what Jesus says in that same chapter and verses later in verses uh, 34 through 40. He says, the greatest, uh, somebody, a lawyer asked Jesus' his teacher, "What it, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. And so Jesus talks about how love fulfills everything. Uh, St. Paul says the same thing. We'll get to him in a second. And then moving onward to Matthew 24 and 25. And these are where the bulk of Jesus's second coming or his uh, judgment statements are made. In Matthew 24, 13, Jesus says, he who endures to the end will be saved. And this is in the context of him talking about coming persecutions. People will hate us. People will Persecute us on the account of Jesus. And he even says right before that statement in verses twelve, he says, Because wickedness is multiplied, most men's love will grow cold. So our love needs to continue being on fire for Jesus, right? And so in Matthew 24, 45 through 51, it's the faithful and unfaithful servants. And Jesus distinguishes the faithful and wise servants versus the wicked servants. Those he finds faithful, he says, truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions when the master returns and finds that faithful and wise servant doing good. And when he says, but if a wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunken, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will punish him and put him with the hypocrites. Their men will weep and gnash their teeth. So what is the warning? Be a good and wise and faithful servant of the gifts that God has given us, and don't be a hypocrite. This is not something we profess with our lips. We live as a radical disciple of Jesus with our lives. To be salt and light to the earth, to perform good works that people would glorify our Heavenly Father. And then in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, it's the wise and the foolish maidens, and he's talking about how five uh, were wise, five were foolish, and the foolish waited until they got their own oil, which is a relationship, a friendship, a love of God, until when the king came back and it was too late. You cannot purchase a relationship off of somebody else and this is again is like in the church just because you're in the church with all these other holy people doesn't make yourself holy or myself holy like we have to participate in that love and we can only get that oil that will light our lamp before the king comes back so that we can uh, be entered into that marriage feast and then in matthew 25 14 through 30 is the parable of talents and the whole point of this parable is talking about being a good steward with the gifts that you have been given, and each one is giving according to his ability. So he says, one person was given five talents, another two, and another one. Then he went away, and he each gave he gave each of them according to his ability. And then uh, skip down to verse 19. He says, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And then he looks at one. Well done, good and faithful servant who have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master and this is the one who said i you gave me five talents master i give you five more and then jesus says the exact same thing to the to the person who was given two talents and gave him two more then the last one comes who only had one talent but then he he said that he was afraid uh, because the ma he knew that the master was uh was um Demanding, so he actually held on to his one talent. He actually gave him back to what what he gave him as a gift. He said, "Well, here's take take what is yours." He didn't take anything. He actually gave it back what he was given, but he didn't uh, benefit. He did not reap what he. Um, was supposed to you did not use the gifts in order to to have interest to grow investment right to have to be a good and faithful servant and he says and jesus being the master says that you knew that i was demanding and yet you did not do what i was what you were supposed to do then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers and at my coming i should have received what was my own with interest so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents For to one who has, will more be given, and he who will have abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the most clear one is uh, in that same chapter, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, is talking about when the Son of Man comes and, in His glory, and all His angels with Him. Then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before He will be gathered to all nations, and He will separate them one from another as a sheep shepherd's. Separates the sheep from its goats, and he will place the sheep at his right and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at the right hand, "Come, O blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, for from the foundation of the world." For I was hungry and you gave me food; I was thirsty and you gave me drink; I was a stranger and you welcomed me; I was naked and you clothed me; I was sick and you visited me; I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, "Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, naked, um, and a stranger?" And then Jesus says, Whatever you did for the least of my brethren, you did it for me. And this is where the whole charity of the church always comes from, to serve Jesus and the poor. And then all those on the left-hand side, and Jesus will say to them, Depart from me, you accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or sick or uh, a stranger? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it not to the one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it not to me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So everything is based on what you do. And then just a few things out of the other gospels. So in Mark uh, chapter 12, 28 through 34, this is Jesus's great commandment his first and great commandment of loving God and loving neighbor it fulfills everything and what I love about this what I felt in prayer recently was uh the same um, parallel verse in Matthew is Matthew 22 and I think Luke is later on in the gospel as well uh relative to how long the gospels are but like, so from a Matthew 22 example, and he's talking about first and greatest commandment, I love that it's at the end of his ministry, that he's revealing God's love for his people, and right before he goes to the cross to be crucified, love himself being poured out for humanity, just as the divine son poured himself out to the divine father for all eternity with the Holy Spirit, that um, he, re- he is fully revealing God's love, and that all the law and the prophets are fulfilled because of these first and great commandments, and he 's showing his love and in matthew Matthew specifically, the whole gospel is set up to reflect the kingship of jesus and and it 's not a lording over it 's actually a come to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many that is the upside down kingdom of christ it's a it 's a kingdom of love and not a kingdom of do this and do that and um of lording it over people and then Uh, So it's a kingdom, but it's also showing that he fulfills the Mosaic law, and it's a fulfillment of the Mosaic law. So the way that it's set up, and we know that, is because there's five different sections of, of the Gospel of Matthew that is set up by a narrative and then a discourse. And there's five of them, and that la- the first and greatest commandment, Matthew 22, is part of the last one. So it's showing that the law of Christ is fulfilled just by the setup of the Gospels, but also the love of Christ fulfills the Mosaic law, um, and it's the new law of Christ that is is love itself that fulfills all everything in the Mosaic law um, to bring it to completion. But it's this inner disposition that is transforming a new heart. So um, love is. The, the beginning, and middle, and end with Jesus and his kingdom. And then in uh, Mark thirteen thirteen he says, he who endures to the end will be saved. So we need perseverance and continuing, um, even in the midst of persecution and discomforts and uh, the hardships of discipleship. And then in uh, the Gospel of Luke, when you go to chapter 6, 46 through 49, he says uh, that he's talking about the hearers and doers of the word, not to be hearers only, but to be doers as well as his entire uh, statement right here, he talks about why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who who uh, dug deep and laid the foundation upon rock. And then he talks about those who hear the word but don't actually do it. They're like those who are built on a um, a shaky foundation. And then when you go, to uh, Luke eight nine through fifteen, it's the parable of the sower explained, and again he's talking about those who are sown in good soil, those who, and th- they are those who hear the word, hold it fast in honest and good heart, and bring forth fruit with patience. And so he's talking about um, sowing the seed, and it's not just a, uh, a receiving of the word, but it's actually a tilling the soil and to to um, to foster and to let this. This good seed that it, that the God that God Himself is start started began within us to bring it to completion to bring it to completion and so He t- talks about even in the inner disposition of being an, having an honest and good heart and bringing forth fruit with patience patience meaning perseverance continuation and then in Luke 10 25 through uh, 37 it's the parable of the good Samaritan and someone comes to him and says Teacher what shall I do to inherit eternal life and he says, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And the person said, and I can just maybe even see, like, what do you read there? Like, maybe Jesus is even pointing <laughs> to the scripture. But he, then he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> and he said, you have answered right. Do this, and you will live. And then he goes on, uh, Jesus goes on to say, who is my neighbor? After the man asks, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this whole parable of how even a Levitical priest um, and uh, people that are people of God passing by a person who was beaten and, um, and struggling, you know, but it was the Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews did not talk. But it was the Samaritan who stopped and brought in and, and healed his wounds and, uh, and uh, cared for him. And he says, who, who is it that actually served the neighbor? the Samaritan. So each person, every single person, is our neighbor. And we are the ones that are called to, uh, no matter what, we're all called into the kingdom of Christ to uh, bring forth um, God's love to his people. And then Luke eleven twenty eight, he says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Luke twelve thirteen through 21. This is the parable of the rich fool. And this is, um, Jesus says, Beware of all covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And I will say to, and, uh, and he talks about how the rich man, he had all these things, and he says, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared whose will they be so is it he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward god so we have to be rich toward god we have to, everything is is going for god, for god's glory and we can never take our foot off the pedal right we can never be like eh, well just tonight i'll i'll uh, drink a little bit more than usual or or uh you know what i don't really need to Uh, get up tomorrow and like pray early in the morning. So I'll stay up late and watch this Netflix show that might not be good for me, right? So it's never taking our foot off the pedal. It's never just completely consuming our goods. And the goods are great things, but they need to be stewards for our hearts and for other people's. And then staying in Luke chapter 12, but flipping to verses 41 through 48, it's the faithful and unfaithful servant. And this is one of the more clear uh, areas of scripture where, and it's Jesus himself talking about heaven, hell, and purgatory. And Peter uh, asked the question, Lord, are you telling this parable for us all? And, he's t- and this is coming from the parable um, Jesus telling them to be watchful and it's the parable of the rich fool and telling them to not be anxious. And so Jesus goes on to say, Who then is the faithful and wise steward whom his master will set over his household to give him, give them their portion of food at the proper time? Which is a be- beautiful uh, thing about the papacy right there. It's Peter the head who is the steward of the kingdom. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the Davidic king and he gave it to his royal steward just like in the old uh, Davidic kingdom. Now it's the fulfilled Davidic kingdom in Jesus. He gives it to Peter. And he's telling this to Peter that he will give uh, the kingdom... Um, Jesus will give the keys of the kingdom to Peter and um, give him all these gifts at the proper time. So it's always that like continuation of, of defining truth that the, tr- that the church will always be here and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Anyways, I digress. And he says, Blessed is that servant whom his master when he comes will find so doing. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. And that is talking about heaven, right? But it, it's the reward. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the men servants and maid servants to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour, he does not know and will punish him and put him with the unfaithful. Talking about hell. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not make ready or act according to his will, shall receive a severe beating. This is purgatory, right? So you receive a beating. This is a like purification of things that you were culpable for, like you understood, you under, you had a, a knowledge of all these things and you still didn't do it or you still treated it the wrong way, but not to the point of cutting yourself off from grace. And But he who did not know, Again, he's saying not culpable, not actually, uh, you don't actually have the capacity to even know what's right or wrong in any given circumstance. And did, but he who did not know and did what deserved a beating shall receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given of much will more be required. And of him to whom men commit much, they will demand the more. And so those uh, are clear levels of heaven, hell and purgatory. And we'll talk about purgatory, but just so you know, it's not a second chance. It is a way of purification so that we can be with the just men made perfect. Our souls would be completely purified, that we'd be perfected of Jesus's love so that because nothing unclean shall enter heaven. And then in Luke uh, chapter 13, 22 through 30, it's the narrow door. And Jesus talks about how strive to enter by the narrow door for many i tell you will seek to enter and will not be able you will begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying lord open to us he will answer you i do not know where you come from so he's talking about that living this life here um and on this uh on this life as a disciple is not easy it's not something that you just say something and uh well i'm going to be good in the next life no he's talking about those who are are tilling that good soil are taking up their cross, who are denying themselves, who are announcing the things uh, to cling to this world, their comforts and everything like that, but to uh, p- to only give themselves over to Jesus and to live a life of, p- of purity and to live out the beatitudes and to live of love, right? That's what Christ is calling us to, and it's not easy. It is not easy. Every single day, even if we don't do something bad, we can feel the inner disposition of our heart. Like, ooh, that needs some purifying. Like, why did I feel that way towards that person? <laughs> For no reason. Uh, and then um, flipping to Luke nineteen, eleven through 27, it's the parable of the 10 pounds. And this is, again, talking about those who are faithful and, and very little uh, and using their gifts. And using their gifts to bring forth a uh, an investment return, essentially, to Jesus the King. And then in Luke twenty-one through nineteen, it says, "By your endurance, your you will gain your lives." And then flipping to the Gospel of John, uh, John five twenty-nine: "Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment." John thirteen thirty-five: "Men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another." John fourteen twelve and again, love is an action and love is an inner disposition. It's doing something, but it's also with the disposition of a pure heart and uh, for willing the good of the other. It's not about feelings, but it's actually engaging your will for the good and right order to uh, love your brother and your sister. Speaking to myself too. John fourteen twenty one. he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So it's all about love and keeping God's commandments. Uh, John fifteen one 1 through uh, 17, it's all about the true vine, and Jesus says that he is the vine, we are the branches, and it is he who abides in him, and he in us, it is that it is us that bear much fruit. For apart from him, we can do nothing if a man does not abide in jesus he is cast forth as a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And it's interesting that he just calls us branches, but then a branch can wither and be gathered together and thrown into the fire and burned. We have to abide in Jesus. Abiding in Jesus means loving Jesus and loving each other, and abiding in God's love. And that's how we know if we're walking in the light and or uh, we that we belong to God, as First John says, is that we are walking in love and we love one another, and so it's abiding in Christ. And abiding means, actually, in the Greek, abiding really remains like remaining in the presence of. Remaining in the presence of. So it's a continuation. Uh, And then in the midst of that true vine, uh, in verses 10 and chapter 15 of John, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So it's about keeping God's commandments and having an inner disposition of love towards God. And then... Once we get into the epistles, we'll just pull out just a few things. Acts uh, chapter 14, 22. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. So don't be afraid of tribulations. This is when the kingdom of light is the more even more manifest when dark darkness increases the light of jesus increases when sin abounds grace abounds all the more and that's not I'm talking about my sin and then his grace comes more it's talking about the world and us transforming it that we are the light and god's grace is going to be uh even more manifest the kingdom of uh of light that are the children of the kingdom of his beloved son is even more um clear it's more clearly seen and it's more clearly visible because we uh, destroy strongholds of the kingdom of darkness. And so when the world, the sin is increasing, but with us, grace is increasing to um, destroy sin, to destroy hatred, destroy division in our world. The G- our whole world and our culture needs Jesus. They're crying out for a savior, and it's only Jesus that can save. Uh, Acts twenty six twenty, it talks about, we should repent and turn to God and perform deeds worthy of their repentance. And by the way, both of those statements were from Paul. It was Paul and Barnabas in Luke 14, and then it was Paul uh, just after him uh, making his defense to uh, King Agrippa and Matthew or uh, Acts 26. Then when you get to Romans, Romans 2, 5 through 11. And uh, specifically, verse 6 says, God will render to every man according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are factious and do not obey the truth but, are, but obey wickedness, there will be wrath and fury. So it's also about clinging to the truth and cl- uh, doing works out of that truth with patience to um, seek glory, honor, and, Im- and immortality. And in verse thirteen, right there, he uh, Paul says, "It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified." And so, uh, again, just echoing Jesus, Saint Paul is telling us we can't not be just hearers of the word; we have to be doers as well. We are going to be the ones; those are going to be the ones who build their house upon a solid and rock foundation. Uh, Romans 6:11 you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive for God in Christ Jesus as we have talked before sin is contrary to God because God is perfect goodness God is perfect love and so sin is a um, a satisfaction or a reception of something that is not that is not good or it's not love so sin is a deprivation a, a deprivation to ourselves from the very life that God wants to give us so we have to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive for God in Christ Jesus living a holy life Romans 11:22 this is when St Paul is talking about salvation for the gentiles and he's warning them that just as God um let me just read it. In 1120, 11.22, it says, If God did not spare the natural branches, talking about the Jews here, neither will he spare you. Note that note then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. So it's a continuation. It's not a once once saved, always saved thing. Here, right in uh, Romans, right when he's addressing the Gentiles, uh, in this huge community in Rome. He's talking about just as God separated people from the Jewish uh, family of God, he can do the same thing with you Gentiles. So you have to remain in his kindness. And then in 13, 8 through 10, St. Paul says, love fulfills the law. And then Romans fourteen twelve, it says, each of us shall give account of himself to God. So we have to make an account for ourselves when our judgment uh, comes. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, St. Paul talks about how our works will become manifest at the, at the day of our judgment. will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up. He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And this is, again, a reference to purgatory. We're purified and we're suffering loss and yet being saved. The only people that have that are people that are not in heaven because they're suffering loss. But it's not those people who are going to be uh, um, going to hell because they're, uh, they're being saved, right? So who is it? It's those people going through the process of purgation on their way to heaven. Purifying their hearts based on what they've done, their works will our works will be tested as through fire. And then in First Corinthians four three through five, he says, "I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then every man will receive his." Con- Commendation from God. So here we should never say, "I know I'm going straight to heaven if I die," because we don't know. The Lord is our judge, and Saint. This is the great Saint Paul, who lived the life of this radical disciple of Jesus, and he says he doesn't even judge himself, and he's not uh, aware of anything against him as such as sin, but. He is not thereby acquitted. He needs. He realizes that it's his heart. It's the purposes of heart that will be disclosed to God and to himself at the end, right? And that's the same thing with us. First Corinthians thirteen thirteen. He's talking about how faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And this is in the context of doing all these, uh, all these charismatic uh, working and using these charismatic gifts. And he says all these things are great, but none of it is. Uh, is worth anything if we do not have love in our hearts. And he's even talk, talking about faith and martyrdom and prophesying and all those great things. 1 Corinthians fifteen one through 2 And he says, The gospel which you received in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold it fast. So again, there's that um, nuance of if you hold it fast. And those that's the word, the gospel that we have received, in which we are currently standing, which we are currently being saved, and if you hold it fast. So it's that threefold dimension. I've been saved, I'm being saved, and I hope to be saved. 2 Corinthians 5.10, St. Paul says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive good or evil according to what he has done in the body. 2 Corinthians 11.15, their end will correspond to their deeds. And he's talking about here false apostles, people who are not of the Catholic Church, those who are not sent by Jesus Christ himself and have his authority and who has that uh, um, gift of teaching, of binding and loosing here in the, king, in the kingdom of heaven and here on earth. And then 2 Corinthians uh, 13, 5, St. Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are holding to your faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So he's talking to Christian communities to examine yourselves to see if Jesus Christ is still in you because we have to constantly have uh, that, you know, that purifyingness of growing in Jesus and being self-aware and purifying all these impure things that are in our hearts. In Galatians, Galatians 5, 6, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail, but faith working through love you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So again, um, it's the mosaic law that is uh, fulfilled in Jesus, and it's faith having access through faith to the promises of God, like Abraham, and working in love, cooperating with God's grace, and ultimately loving. Galatians five thirteen through fourteen. You were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love be servants of one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I love this right here because a lot of people, uh, you know, like once saved, always saved, or I just need to say the sinner's prayer and I'm saved forever, no matter what I do. St. Paul right here even says that do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Because we do have, as Pope John Paul II said, that freedom isn't what, isn't just what we can do at all. Freedom is what we ought to do for the good of other people. So Galatians 5, 16-26, uh, uh, the whole thing is about works of the flesh versus works, fruit of the Spirit. So cooperating in the Spirit and cutting off works of the flesh to purify our hearts. Galatians 6, 7-9, through 9, whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Don't grow weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we do not lose heart. And then once you go through Ephesians, the beautiful um, epistle um, on the purity of an individual Christian, but also the church of God. Uh, Saint Paul talks about how you've been destined with Christ and. Um, that Christ is head over all things through his body, the church as well, and that we have been saved through faith, that it's not our own doing, not because of works, lest any man should boast, because we cannot work ourselves to being saved, right? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's the good works of Christ, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, and then he talks about how we're all one in Christ, Jew and Gentile have been reconciled, that Jesus took upon and broke that dividing wall of hostility, which was actually in the temp- in the temple of the Jews where uh, Gentiles could come into the outer court, but they couldn't go into the inner court. But he is breaking down that so that we're all at, uh, one body in Christ Jesus. And then we ha- we have access to the Father through Jesus. And then he talks about unity in the body of Christ, and how speak that we should be speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint with which it is supplied, when each part is working properly, makes bodily growth and upbuilds itself in love. And then Saint Paul tells us to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, to put on the new man created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And then he goes on to say, "Do not you can be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity for the devil." So he continues to go on about living a life in holiness and being imitators of God in Christ Jesus as uh, as His children. And then flipping to Philippians in chapter one, he says, "Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel." And then he goes on to talking about having humility and counting others better than ourselves. So this is, again, just practical ways of growing in holiness and having the, the mind of Christ and um, being humble like Christ who humbled himself and not grasping at God as if something to be grasped at, but humbled himself taking the form of a slave like us in the flesh and being um, uh, humbled himself even to being obedient to death on a cross. Then he says in verse two or verses uh, twelve through thirteen in chapter two he says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for God is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So he's talking about um, that we need to work out our salvation. It's a continuation, right? And then in chapter three, I love the, this part that he talks about how everything is a loss if he does not have Christ, right? So he counted all as lost for the sake of Christ. And and in verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this or am I already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he's talking about a continuation of uh the things to come like it's great that i did something before but i need to continue it's just like it's great when i do something nice for my wife but it's not like a one and done thing like oh that was good enough like keep going keep growing in love and then philippians 4 he's talking about rejoicing always and even in our anxieties uh with prayer and supplication give our thanks thanks to god and to think what it think about the things that are true honorable just pure lovely gracious and anything that is excellent so to purify our minds right and then the famous verse of philippians 4 13 that we can do all things in christ who strengthens us because apart from him we can do nothing so it's a inner disposition and it's a continuation in faith and love in him and then colossians 3 through 14 he talks about uh um, and over all these things, when he says over all these, he's referring to va- back to verses 12 and 13 where he says, uh, holy and beloved, put on compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience and forgiveness. But he says, over all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then when he flipped to 1 Thessalonians two eleven through 12, he says, we, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to talk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. In chapter uh, in uh, chapter three, verse four, when we were with you, we told you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. So he's talking about don't be surprised that you're suffering affliction right now. And then in chapter three, verse uh, eight, he says, "Now we live." If you stand fast in the Lord, so a continuation. It's a there's that uh, if there you go. again, right? What Jesus, and Saint Paul have done several times already, and then he goes on to talk about how we need to live um, in Christ and that and uh, that life pleasing to God in Christ Jesus. And to and then he kind of caps this off in the middle of chapter 4 where he says, God has not called us for uncleanness but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Then he goes on talking about the coming of Christ. and He's talking about the second coming of not the rapture. We'll talk about that sometime. But it's not the rapture of all the people fleeing away from persecution by, as Jesus saves us. No, he tells us that we're going to be suffering this whole uh letter is about suffering and enduring it and that this is our eternal. that is our hope though is that god will come will rapture us all bring us all up to him so that we can escort him down to a new heavens and a new earth that is going to be transformed in christ jesus and we even see that in second thessalonians where uh saint paul literally to start it he says i think like he he's giving thanks that We ourselves boast of you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions which you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be made worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. And then he even goes on to say in uh, chapter 1 that those who do not know God and upon those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus are vengeance. They shall suffer the punishment of eternal destruction and exclusion from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And then towards the end of that same letter in chapter 3, he says to uh, toil and labor um, night and day and to not grow weary in in well-doing in verses 13. Then he says in uh, verse fourteen through fifteen, he says, "If anyone refuses to obey what we say in this letter, note that man and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not look on him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother." So again, what's beautiful about this? He's talking about essentially telling your brother when he's wrong, but and not condoning what he's doing, but also um, when you cut him off, it's out of a place of love. That's what excommunication is in Matthew um, eighteen to like uh, when Jesus says to treat those who do not listen even to the church as a tax collector and and um and a gentile he's excluding them but out of love it's supposed to be out of a place of repentance so that they can return to the church to the kingdom of god and it's the same thing here is that anybody who is sinning um cut him off you know it's just like we have politicians right now that are publicly doing things that are contrary to the uh and hostile to the Catholic faith, such as um saying that abortion and contraceptives and all these things are okay from a public public platform. He is excommunicating himself and we're not and the church uh wouldn't be able to receive him to act at communion because he they're publicly the church is publicly saying you need to publicly repent. And to think about what you've done, but they're doing it out of a place of love so that he can be reconciled in his mind and his heart to the Lord and his church. And then in uh, Tim and Titus, uh, he talks about, the whole thing is about sound doctrine and good deeds. If you read chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, he says, For the grace of God has appeared for the salvation of all men. Training us to renounce irreligion. So here we talk, he's talking about there's a good religion and a bad religion, and we should renounce irreligion and worldly passions, and to live sober, upright, and godly lives in this world, awaiting our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great and Great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity and to purify for Himself a people of His own, who are zealous for good deeds. So there, he's talking about being zealous for good deeds and continuing in faith. And then let's look at uh, Hebrews really quick. Hebrews 3:14. We share in Christ if, if only we hold our first confidence firm to the end. And then in Hebrews uh, chapter 6 verses 4 through 8, this is about falling away. And he says, the author says, It is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, if then they commit apostasy, since they crucify the Son of God on their own account and hold him up to contempt." So the author is talking about those who previously received the gospel of Christ need to continue in it because we can fall away. And he says something similar in uh, Hebrews ten thirty six and then 38 through 39. It says, You have need of endurance so that you may do the will of God and receive what is promised. But my righteousness, one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and keep their souls. Again, continuing in the faith. Hebrews 12:10. He disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. And just to back up again, uh, back up to chapter 6 really quick at the. Uh, Chat, and starting in verse 10, he says this, For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love which you showed for his sake in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness in realizing the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then hopping over to James, it's all scattered throughout here, but James one twenty two talks about how we need to be doers of the word and not hearers only and do not deceive yourselves because of that and then uh, Hebrews 2 17, 17 through 26 it's the entire thing of how faith without works is dead so by faith so faith by itself if it has no works is dead but some will say you have you have faith and i have works show me your faith apart from your works and i will by my works will show you my faith you believe that god is one you do well even the demons believe and shudder even the de- demons believe in jesus what separates us it's going to be our works do do you want to be shown you foolish fellow that that faith apart from works is barren was not abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son isaac upon the altar you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by works and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by, by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the harlot, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out, out another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. And then James five nineteen through 20. It says, "If anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins." So it's returning brothers and sisters back. It's re-evangelizing people. It's having uh people that would revert to the church. You know that that were here but then left. You know, so it's um about if people can fall away and people can return. First Peter one seventeen. Um, talks about it says if you invoke as father him who judges each one impartially according to his deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So he's talking about living a life pure and holy to God to uh, on our exile our earthly pilgrimage here. Uh, 4 4 eight he's, Saint Peter says above all hold unfailing your love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins and he can and he talks about walking our in our baptismal promises throughout all of first uh, Peter is talking about walking as um, adopted sons and daughters w- walking in Christ because we are uh, in our baptism we are baptized into Christ and second Peter uh, 19 through t- uh, chapter 2 verses 19 through 22 St. Peter says they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. for whatever overcomes a man to that he is enslaved. for if, after they have escaped from the defilement of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overpowered, the last state has become worse for them than the first. for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb: the dog turns back to his own vomit, and the sow is washed only to wallow in the mire. Again, Saint Peter here has some striking and uh, some direct words about those who fall away and um, uh, away from the faith, the the righteousness that is in Christ Jesus, and fall away from that. It's like people going back uh, to what they were enslaved to before. And then all of First John is about love. We already heard plenty of that. Just read uh, the, the letter of first John. It's all about love. And then 2 uh, John verses 5 through 6, he says um, that we love one another. And this is love, that we follow his commandments. This is the commandment. And as you have heard from the beginning, that you follow love. And then uh, um, the third letter of John verse 11 It says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. He who does good is of God. He who does evil has not seen God. So very clear. And then lastly, before we get to Revelation, our our brother Jude, throughout his letter, he talks about being, that there's going to be judgment on the ungodly. And he talks about keeping ourselves in the love of God. And then he even talks about how we need to save some by snatching them out of the fire. So we participate in that salvation of the world, um, like like in Jesus, right? So we are partakers of that divine nature of salvation as well, that mission statement, the, to be a part of the apostleship. And then in Revelation, we talked about this in one of the uh, the episode one or two, I believe one. But if you go to chapter two, verses three, this is again Jesus talking to um, these churches, And in uh, chapter two, the beginning of it, he talks about the church, the message to Ephesus. And he says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear evil men, but have tested those who call themselves apostles, but are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then from that, which you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And then he goes on, Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Neolations, which I also hate. Um, And then what's incredible about this whole thing is that first, Jesus himself is talking about do not follow people that are not apostles. A.K.A. people who are outside of the Catholic Church are those that are not apostles, right? Cling to the church that Jesus gave us. And uh, so to hold to the truth, but also have the love in our hearts. And then um, he even talks about that do not like the works of the uh, Nicolaitans. And this was actually, if we remember, going back to Acts when they uh, had, I believe, chapter 7. When they had the seven deacons of the church, like uh, Stephen, you know, remember how they list the apostles in order from, uh, you know, Peter all the way down to Judas, always starting with the greatest down to the least. This is the same thing. They had Stephen up front, and then this uh, this Nicolaitan um, at the very end. And he started beginning teaching heresy from tradition. It sounds, but it's kind of confirmed right here. And then uh, Jesus says to uh, the church in Smyrna. Um, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who conquers shall not be burnt by the second death. The message to uh, Pergamum, he says, I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who take Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, that they might eat food, sacrificed to idols, and practice immorality. So you also have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent then to him who conquers i will give give some of the hidden manna and i will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone which no one knows except him who receives it and then Staying in uh, chapter 2, this is the church to Thyatria. Um, He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and beguiling my servants to practice immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her doings. I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give each to... Give to each of you as your works deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatria who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay upon you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. He who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, I will give him power over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received power from my father and I will give him the morning star. And then in chapter three, it's the message to uh, Sardis and he says, I know your works. You have the name of being alive and you are dead. Awake and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death, for I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. keep that and repent if you will not awake, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. Yet you will have still a few name in Sardis people who have not so- soiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who conquers shall be clothed like them in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And then a message to the church in Philadelphia. The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one shall shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not not denied my name. I am coming soon, and hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. He who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. And then lastly, the message to Laodicea, the church in Laodicea. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and not neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not knowing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Those whom I love, I reprove and chasten. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I myself con- con- conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, so again he's talking about clearly all the way throughout this that he's in, he's judging the churches right now based on works and to repent and to have the love that we have to be zealous for good works and that um, to cling to Jesus' church that he established that holds fast to the truth. And then, lastly, in Revelation twenty-two twelve, Jesus says, "Behold, I am coming soon." bringing my recompense to repay everyone for what he has done and that brings this third part to conclusion that was a lot of scripture and a lot of uh um i'm sure there's a lot to listen to to be honest (laughs) but uh there's even more than that that we probably i'm sure we missed so much more but it's all about faith working itself out in love and that's what we're going to be judged on is what we did but also how we did it. Are we moving out of love? Let's purify our hearts, purify our conscience, purify our works, purify our thoughts so that we would walk as sons in the kingdom of God's beloved son.